when your wife suggested couples therapy, do you think that this is what they had in mind? Definitely. I mean, we're a couple of couples, right? Bill, Ted, enough of the delusions. You didn't time travel, and you didn't go to heaven and hell. Here's a real idea for you. Be role models to your daughters. Get real jobs. We've spent our whole life trying to unite the world. And I'm tired, dude. Ted, we have a destiny to fulfill. Whoa! Whoa! Greetings, my excellent friends. We have a problem. Step forward. A song created by Preston Logan. Performed tonight. will save reality as we know it. Oh! We better write that song now. Or why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? And take it from ourselves. Except, won't that be stealing? Cheers! <laughs> How is that stealing? We're stealing it from ourselves, dude. Dude, our dads are totally in trouble. Yeah! Yeah! We should help them out. Yeah! No way! How's it going, Bill and Ted? We're putting together a most extraordinary band. Hey, you want to be in our band? Oh. <laughs> oh, this is so fantastic. We're going to go talk to Dad. Is he playing hopscotch by himself? Who's he cheating? Hey, Dad. My is in the wild stallion. Let's! Party on, dude. Yeah. How you doing? Well, you know, we're dead and we're in hell. But how you doing? We're, we're good. good. And that was the trailer for Bill and Ted Face the Music, which, if you're listening to this podcast, that movie actually comes out today, directed by Dean Parasit. Uh, written by Chris Masterson and Ed Solomon. And Chris, of course, directed episodes of the Bill & Ted TV series which that we are covering. Welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV series and science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. And, we're, and a lot of people don't know this, but back in the 90s, there was a Bill & Ted TV series that took place around the time of Bill & Ted's bogus journey. Yeah, and uh, playing Missy, who is the stepmom of Bill, right? Missy's Bill's stepmom. I think by the end of the bogus journey, she's both of their stepmoms. Yes, that's right, because uh, the dad, she left uh, one parent for the other parent. But uh, we have on with us the actress who played Missy in the TV series, Bill and Ted, uh, Lisa Wilcox, also known from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and also going to talk a little bit about a new project that she's involved with. Thank you for coming on the show with us, Lisa. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Lisa, were you a huge fan of the Bill and Ted movies? Because those were the first one had come out during your run of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Were they, uh, I think it was like the, around the, almost the same year, right? Um, I don't recall the year exactly, but it was certainly in that time frame, you know? And, uh, oh, yes, I was a huge fan. I mean, well, first of all, Keanu Reeves is, oh, it makes my heart beat, okay? <laughs> Whoa. I had a huge crush on him. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I thought those movies were just fantastic, fantastic fun. Bill and Ted came out in 1989, so I think that would have been after Nightmare Part 4. After Nightmare 4 would be the same year as Nightmare 5. Oh, okay. And interesting enough, it's interesting that I never got the opportunity I never auditioned for the film Missy, you know, to, to play Missy. And I'm thinking it could have been I was already working on Nightmare on Elm Street 5, so I wasn't available because our filming was, you know, a couple months. So because it, 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 Nightmare 4 catapulted me to, you know, opened a lot of doors and whatnot. So it's very interesting. I'm sure my agent would not remember now, but um, anyway – Moving on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Bill and Ted came out uh, February 17th of that year. Uh, Nightmare Part 5 came out August 11th of that year. So they were pro I was doing Nightmare 4 probably then when uh, they were casting for Bill and Ted. So that is would be congruent. Obviously, casting would be the year before. They filmed the movie, edit, comes out in 89. Kind of. 
Right. I think. And then uh, so. the TV series debuted in uh, June 28, 1992, which is funny enough, the I think the week the Batman Returns came out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting parallel there. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, because I did not get to audition for the film, which is weird because I'm right for the role for Missy, you know what I mean? Um, and obviously got to play her in the TV series, but it could have been that I was unavailable because I was already working on Nightmare on Elm Street 4, so I wasn't available to audition to do the film, for the film, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's what I meant. But later, then, I was free and got to audition for, yeah, Missy the TV show. <laughs> there was a different Missy for the for the unaired pilot, because we found the unaired pilot, which is different than the premiere of the first episode. The first episode has a King Arthur... Uh, kind of story to it. The first, the pilot has a black and white crime noir story to it, and there's a different actress who plays uh, Missy that shows up in a uh, bikini. Interesting. I don't remember. I didn't know that. Very, very interesting. Okay. Well, I guess they. And this happens, of course, all the time in pilots. And I've done pilots, and I'm recast, or they change the entire story, and you know, they don't even have that character anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I did a pilot with Kathy Bates, which was so cool. Um, but they ended up changing the entire story um, completely, chucked it. So, um, but it was interesting to audition the audition for Missy or uh, for Bill and Ted's the TV show. So, the casting director, I think of her name, um, she would bring me in all the time for stuff, and I remember auditioning. And I had a callback, and I was really sick. I was sick, and my callback, I was horrible. Or it could have even been the first audition. I was, it was horrible. So I called my agent, and I'm like, can you, can you, can you call her? She knows me, and come back in and re-audition, because I did, I sucked, <laughs> you know. And fortunately, she, she let me go back in. And I landed it, had the final callback with Network, and booked the role. <laughs> so, yeah, these things happen. <laughs> Were you disappointed that the show never went on for more episodes? Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, it was so it was so much fun. We filmed in Vancouver, which is absolutely gorgeous. So they put me and my husband, and I had my son was about four or five months old. <laughs> So we're in beautiful Vancouver, and, you know, I didn't film every day, so we got to explore the city, and um, it it was great. And I loved the actors. We had so much fun. The guy, Don Lake, the actor, you know, Don Lake, he played the the father. Uh, Yeah, yeah, the the captain of the police, right? uh, Yeah, I think that sounds right, you know, and he's like, I'll be home for lunch, honey. He he was a great. He's a really fun actor from um, Best in Show. Oh wait wait, Don Lake plays Mr. Preston. Captain Logan is the is is uh, Ted Thank Logan's you. father. Okay, Thank yeah, you. I keep getting the yeah, parents like, mixed I up. I remember him being a cop, but anyway. But yo, Don uh, Lake is hilarious and everything. <laughs> he is tremendous. So that was so such an honor to work with him. And uh, yeah, I was so disappointed. It was such a fun little role to play. You know, I mean, it was just oh. over the top, you know, and yeah, it was black. Uh, your your husband on the show, Don, he's on Space Force with uh, Steve Carell, the Netflix show that's kind of a parody on Donald Trump's Space Force. No way. Okay, I have to check it out. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, no. he's in every episode. He's uh, he's like, he's like the second banana to Steve Carell. Oh, my gosh. I Okay, well, thank you. Obviously, I've been living under a rock, so <laughs> I will definitely I just watched the first few episodes of uh, Bill and Ted, the TV series, and I gotta say, I thought those two actors who played Bill and Ted nailed the, uh, you know, the, the 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 mannerisms of Alex and Keanu perfectly. I was like, these guys spot on They're for the, for for the for these original characters, yeah. And the special effects were not terrible for the extremely low budget show. I mean, they got the phone booth, time travel, and everything right. They really did, and the two actors just. It. Man, I was just staring at them, just fascinated. Like they were so good, so 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 good. Yeah. What did you yeah, think so of? I, uh, why? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, and then why I didn't go on for another season? I just 
don't know. I don't know. Anyway. What did you think of uh, Rick Overton, who uh, played that version of Rufus, who was a big character actor, having been in stuff like Willow and Groundhog's Day, but he was the TV series Rufus. Yeah, he's tremendous, too, you know? I mean, I feel like the casting um, for the TV show was just, like, spot on, you know? I, I really I really do. So, but, you know, ratings, whatever it is, you know, it didn't continue on, but... And I thought, what a great idea to have it as a TV show. I mean, you could have so many different episodes, you know? Mm -hmm. You've got your time work thing happening, right? Did they they actually give you uh, scripts ahead of time to give you the general ideas as to the adventures that they would have during the season, or were you given just one script at a time as you went on? Uh, One one script at a time. One script at a time, yeah. They were, you know, developing it kind of thing and and then they too want to see like how the actors are exploring their character and you know pick up on nuances of that particular actor or actress right and then yeah. they can explore and write an episode going off on that you know I think like even one of the episodes was with um when I'm all into the soap operas <laughs> and stuff oh my god that was a fun episode anyway what's really kind of strange is that I'm trying to see there was no Missy in the animated series. Were you aware there was an animated series after the show was canceled? No. Yeah. And Okay, here's the weird thing. Everybody from the movie comes back to play their animated counterparts. But in season two, they recast them with everyone who got canceled from the TV series. Isn't that odd? Yeah. George Carlin, Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter all come back to play Rufus, Ted, and Bill. Then in season two, Evan, Christopher, Dawn all come back to play your husband and the two, uh, Bill and Ted. There's no Missy in the credits. Uh, there's Allison Corp, but she doesn't have any uh, like credit to her name. And I'm only wondering, maybe they didn't want Missy on the cartoon because the relationship between Missy and Dad is, you know, appropriate for a movie or TV series, but a kid's cartoon, not okay whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been like PG-13, a little bit much for the uh, racing. Yes, that is, I think you're on to something there. Yes, it would not be appropriate for children under 12. <laughs> That's so weird. There was a cartoon <laughs> series under, I ran. At that time in the 80s, uh, even, even under 16. I don't know, <laughs> you know. Right. It's weird that there was a cartoon series ran for two seasons. <laughs> they, had, wow. they had the stars for one season, and then they went to the television stars for the second season. <laughs> A little bit. I don't know if it's ever been released on DVD. I know the TV series has never been released on DVD. No, no. And I, I do get asked about it, you know, um, occasionally at conventions and, and whatnot, but I, I, I don't know. Well, I don't know if we'll ever really know I, I, why. It's carry on. Now, out of all of your roles, like you've been on Dallas and uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, Boy Meets World, I mean, the the list goes on uh, Murder, She Wrote, and, and um, not only the Nightmare franchise. Out of your collected works, what do you think are your proudest moments, your proudest roles? I would, there's, well, other than Alice and Nightmare on Elm Street, but talking mm-hmm. about the other TV shows and stuff, because it's so funny, people always... They know me from Nightmare on Elm Street, but the bulk of my work is like sitcoms and episodic and all that kind of thing. So um, I'm really, really proud of a episode I did on Walker, Texas Ranger, where mm-hmm. I play a nun, and then um, I have a estranged brother who's a, a, a thief and was in prison. And anyway, it was a Christmas episode, basically, and it was just there's this monologue I do it's just so tender with him and the story is called um, Saving Grace and I play Sister Sister Grace and um, anyway I that that role just stands out to me so so strongly another one that I'm proud of is playing Carol Brady and Florence Henderson in behind the scenes the Brady Bunch yeah I had completely forgotten that was you when I saw that on TV years ago I was like god that looks like that can't be the nightmare woman. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And that one was, I mean, one, I grew up with the Brady Bunch, the reruns and stuff, but I love the Brady Bunch. Who doesn't know the Brady Bunch? And it, 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 oh, my gosh, to be on that set 
the Brady Bunch set? Are you kidding the me? The living room. I, the living room, the kitchen, the kitchen, and all that. Oh, my gosh. So, so much fun. And uh, it, it, it was it was that was another interesting audition because because I got the audition and they were sent down to Santa Monica. There was some confusion. That's not where the audition was. So they had to reschedule the audition. It was actually in Burbank. So it's a Friday, five o'clock. On um, I'm there uh, auditioning, and they had already cast like all the other roles, and they didn't have their their Florence Henderson yet, Carol Brady, because I play both because we go inside and out, you know, in the TV movie. Mm-hmm. So I audition and I leave and I'm the last one to audition at the end of the day. And my my manager literally calls me when I'm driving home. It's back when you had the brick size cell phones. And um, he's like, um, I don't really know what you did in there, but you got the role. <laughs> and I was like, no way. So excited. <laughs> I mean, how exciting to play Florence Henderson. But it, it's interesting. I do look like her. And they did do a wig, kind of a wig thing on the top. It's when mm-hmm. she had that sort of shag haircut where it was like thinner on the ends and thicker at the top. Anyway, whatever. It was great fun and to wear the clothes from that period and to, you know, be, you know, improvising and be, <laughs> be Carol Brady, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. So it's kind of funny. Andres Jones, who plays Rick in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, um, so we're brother-sister – and uh, anyway, he's always had a huge fan- crush on Florence Henderson. Oh. So for him to see me playing her in this movie, <laughs> he says it's always freaked him out. Because <laughs> he's, anyway, <laughs> inside joke story, whatever. <laughs> I hope Andras, you're fine if I if I just announce that. <laughs> no, that's fine. You, I mean Andras, he hears this. <laughs> oh. He didn't ask for permission. <laughs> We'll 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 make sure we forward it to him. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you've been a uh, you've been a long time big hit at conventions. I mean, that, you you came in the show, and then I met you at conventions. I met you at uh, Rhode Island Comic Con when you came here, and then you were here in Massachusetts last year for uh, the final, unfortunately, Scaricon. Scaricon has uh, pretty much folded up right after that uh, convention, the one in uh, New York, uh, before COVID happened. Uh, do you miss the convention circuit? Oh my gosh. Terribly. You have no idea. I feel like I have no purpose in life right now. Um, I mean, I realize I have been doing conventions for almost kind of about 20 years, kind of when they first were starting. Um, And so for years, I have been, you know, you know, six months out of the year, I'm just, you know, I'm doing conventions and meeting people, seeing all my, my actor friends. We have a but, you know, just a fantastic time. Um, just love, love doing them. So, yeah, I, I really, really miss them. I feel very out of place, you know, like I'm supposed to be on a plane, you know, going somewhere, you know. So, yes, I miss them. Cannot wait. Hopefully next year we'll be gangbusters and, you know, we'll make up for this this period of time, you know. Yeah, and to ease into that topic here, uh I noticed that you actually produced a short with a lot of other Nightmare franchise actors to stop COVID and help us get back to normal here. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about Stop the Nightmare? Yes. Um, Well, it's interesting because, you know, like everyone else, you know, we're looking at YouTube and, you know, musicians and comedians are just coming up with so many clever things to kind of help ease the pain and fear of this virus particularly in the very beginning, you know. And um, so it inspired me, and I'm like, I, what can I do? Oh, I know, which which is the one that was so funny? Um, the song, My Sharona, and he said, My Corona. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if you guys saw that one. We, so uh, I've, I've been hearing that joke nonstop for the last, since March. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was one of the earlier ones, right? So anyway, it inspired me, and then, so I don't know, it was like, um, you know, it's like midnight, and I all of a sudden the Freddy rhyme comes into my head one two Freddy's coming for you three four and I went aha so I rewrote the lyrics COVID right and um and then I called a couple of friends of mine in Chicago actually and I also called after friends in LA and 
Mark Patton, who's in Mexico, and you know, and and said, "Hey, would you guys be interested?" And I called Heather. You know, would you be interested in maybe singing part of the? You know, I'll do one line, you do the next line, blah blah blah. And she's like, "Absolutely." So, and then a whole bunch of just those who were available participated at the end, and it, it basically it stops a nightmare, right? Hello. Yeah. Yeah, that's one right? so, two um, one two COVID. It's not the flu. Three, four, wash your hands some more. Five, yes. six, Zoom your therapist. Seven, eight, don't <laughs> congregate. Nine, ten, never see your friends. <laughs> yes, and also, and the point was, too, because some PSAs were so serious, very serious, right? So I wanted to add a little edge, you know, a little, be a little edgy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I think, you know, so my friends in Chicago, they actually filmed in their neighborhood with the kids total social distancing with the and they put masks on and made them made them red and green and did this is all kind they got the jump it, they did amazing and then um and then i recorded here in in las vegas actually my lines heather did it because her daughter has a this little studio did how it all came about honestly it was between five different states one country that we were able to put this together um and then uh, James, one of the other producers, uh, he edited together the music and everything. And I don't know, it just came to, it came to be, and it did get broadcast quite, 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 quite a few places. So it was a yes. really fun project. Excellent. Uh, and if any of our listeners want to actually see it, uh, you can go to stopthenightmare2020.com. Yep, yep, and um, that thank you. Yep, that's it. That's it. StopTheNightmare2020.com. Awesome. And uh, we also have some swag you can buy, and you can buy T-shirts, Stop the Nightmare, and whatnot, and um, all all proceeds go to a charity group that helps artists. So anyway, yeah. So Excellent. It was, a, it was a neat thing. It was a fun thing to do. Excellent. Excellent. Lisa, where would you like to uh, – where can people come and find you on social media, and where could they buy an autograph from you? Because there's no conventions that uh, anybody should be going to until next year. But uh, you can definitely support your favorite actor or actress with uh, – uh, a lot of them have uh, autographs. Like uh, we, we got one from ours as well on another uh, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my official site is lisaewilcox.com, and that's very important, the E, lisaewilcox.com. Uh, and that's where you can purchase autographs. And you can even contact me if you want to ma- ship me a poster or a glove to sign as well. I've been doing that. Um, also, I'm on Cameo. I think it's just Lisa Wilcox. could be Lisa E. Wilcox, but you'll see my picture. And on Instagram, I'm the Lisa Wilcox. It used to be Lisa Wilcox and numbers, but my PR person's like, no, we're changing it. The Lisa Wilcox. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. And then Facebook. um, Lisa Wilcox, and you can find me there too. So, excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us, Lisa. Thank you so much, and, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hopefully, be yes. excellent to each other. Be excellent yes. to each other. Yes, very good. <laughs> I like the line, um, uh, Missy. I mean, Mom. <laughs> anyway, toodaloo. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. And Mr. has the episode synopsis for the first of the two episodes. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, Season 1, Episode 2, As the Dude Turns, The Lives That We Live. Bill's attractive young ditzy stepmother Missy is shocked to learn that the hero of a daytime soap opera she has a crush on wants to have a sex change operation. So the boys enter the show to change his mind, messing up the plot further. And hopefully you enjoyed, just before the trailer, the interview we had with Lisa Wilcox, who plays uh, Missy in this episode. Best known as playing Alice in the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, franchise, part four and five. But uh, she was kind enough to come on the Dead TV podcast to talk about her part, uh, a little bit, her little part in the Bill and Ted universe. This episode is one of those that you just kind of cringe at in modern day. Deals a lot with transgender issues in a soap opera. Yeah, so of course but I wasn't as offended as, let's say, they were actually doing this to somebody in real life versus, like, a television show. I don't know if that's, like, okay, so everything's fictional in TV, but th- there's fiction within fiction, so in their own universe, 
I don't know. Is it as offensive? I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not of the demographic to uh, to make that judgment call. But I did see the problems with the episode. I did fast forward through a lot of the episode that I was just like, uh, not as good as I thought the last one was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in this one, I think really, I, I won't say it actually offended me because I know they're they're doing it off of a soap opera, and soap operas have these types of storylines. What was more of the offensive part of it is that. Bill and Ted were going into the television show to change this person's opinion of themselves. And so that the person sticks back to the gender designation that they were born with. And then so the stepmother will give their, the father Nookie because she is no longer heartbroken that her favorite character is no longer going to be uh, a, a masculine character. I thought that was more of the offensive part about it. Being that this is from 1992, uh, Kelly Rutherford yeah. in this episode as well. She plays the soap opera girl, and she's best known as being um, the hooker with the heart of gold on The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. And she was also on another TV series we've covered, which was... Um, Kindred the Embraced. Kindred the Embraced, the first television show that we did, which now has a comic book out, not Kindred per se, but that would be actually make a lot of sense, but uh, Vampire the Masquerade, which is what Kindred is based on, has a comic book series out now by Tim Seeley, creator of Cassie Hack, who I do the com- the podcast uh, Goth Girl Horror about. And he was a longtime writer of uh, Nightwing, Dick Grayson's character, as well as many other comic books. If you like a politically charged book, I recommend Blood uh, Red, which is his anti-political uh, establishment comic book. Yeah, Kelly Rutherford played that uh, journalist, Caitlin, in Kindred the Embrace. She, she had a lot of screen time in that one. And that was just four years after uh, this episode that she was in. You know, this was originally aired July 5th, 1992, and that came out in 1996. Now, the actor who plays our doctor questioning his identity unfortunately passed away in 2017, uh, the age of 68 years old. But he was actually on a soap opera. He was on All My Children back in the 70s as well as um, several other TV series. But just in terms of a connection to what he's playing here, he was on 34 34 episodes. Now, his name in this episode, something other, Steelflex? Was it Lance Steelflex? Lance Lance Steelflex. That's very much reminding me of the star of a TV series that I hope we cover. I don't know if we are going to cover it right away because of the, the debate on how the DVD set's coming out this October will play in American Players. But John... Uh, um, the actor from Werewolf the Series is currently, I still believe he's actually still on General Hospital now, uh, playing a Max Scorpio, which is such a soap opera name. If not a soap <laughs> opera name, that's definitely the name of like a Bond villain or something like that, which I think that was the name of the Bond villain that Homer went to go work for when him and his family left Springfield temporarily. Oh, I don't remember. That was the episode Homer gets like a brand new job and everyone loves him at work and his boss wants to hang out with him and his boss respects him, but his kids and Marge are miserable. Bart is stuck in like a remedial class for like the mentally challenged children. Lisa uh, is like allergic to everything and Marge is such a housewife, she can't do anything for herself that they live in an automated house so the house does everything for her. The name Lance Steelflex to me just uh, gives me in. It's very phallic in its <laughs> composition. You know, it's a soap opera character, so of course they want the soap opera character to be sexy and you know his prowess with the women, and he's about to marry this character Mona, uh, and it, it, Missy is so caught up in this dramatic romance. Uh, that she literally cries when it's revealed that he feels that he was born into a different body. And this dysmorphia that he has with his body and announces that he's going to have a sex change operation. And uh, Missy just says she refuses to follow the show anymore, and she gets so upset that uh, she just she's too distraught for sex. And, and he, she won't participate in the father's lunchtime activities if you know what I mean. Double entendre. Um, and, of course, Dad is flipping through the channels, and we come across uh, a lot of very heavily 80s shows, uh, which is funny considering this is 1992, 
<laughs> so we're we're kind of past the eighties at this point, but we're I guess we're led to believe this is still in nineteen eighty nine when the movie took place. So that's fine. But uh, one of the shows that come across, of course, is Max Headroom, which was a very popular uh, syndicated uh, Canadian TV series. Uh, Dallas, which ran from 1978 to 1991. So this is if this wasn't 1992, it was definitely Dallas reruns. And then, of course, Dallas came back in 2015, but unfortunately had a short-lived show because of the, uh, the death of the star of Dallas, uh, Larry Hagman, um, in real life. And uh, what was the other they show? Also showed, they also showed the Waltons and Gilligan's Island. Yes. And um, I think that's then it. Then they have oh, one robot. on an exercise program. Yes, which is uh, – you do not see exercise shows like this anymore just because of the uh, – the content – the uh, – the, 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 do, you, do you think they don't have exercise like shows like this anymore because, A, everyone has their own YouTube channel, or, B, do you think they're over-sexifying the aerobic instructors? Oh, which I think that it's like, okay, listen, women need to wear women are not going to work out for an aerobic show for ratings in in uh, in 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 sweatpants and sweat tops, not even for 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 whatever gender you're into, whatever your sexual orientation is. I don't give a shit. But scantily clad men and women showing off their 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 sexy midriffs, giant muscles and form-fitting sports bras to their breasts and 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 uh pants or whatever are what going to draw an audience because so, you want to look like that. So I I never had a problem with aerobic instructors men or women looking like the way they do because I'm not going to watch an aerobic show with somebody who is out of weight uh, out of shape, overweight and look like they're about to die. Well, I mean, Richard Simmons made a whole career out of, you know, specializing his exercise routines for that demographic. You know, something where you're looking at the person on screen and it is not going to make you feel terrible that you're not like that. Uh, right. And, and, uh, but Richard Simmons had a personality too. That's why he was so popular. You know what I that mean? The, everyone, nobody was looking at Richard Simmons like, Oh, I want to, I want to bang Richard Simmons. I mean, there they were, and uh, whatever that that's on you. But I mean, let's face it. Aerobic shows were popular because the got the people who did them were incredibly in shape and looked incredibly beautiful, whether they were men yeah. or women. Yeah. It's entertaining TV. And so when, uh, Bill and Ted actually appear on the exercise program. They're like, oh, we got to remember the show to come back later, you know, so they could frolic with the the scantily clad women in spandex. And Bill and Ted like travel through the they travel through the satellite dish using the phone booth technology, which is kind of funny. So it's just a new way to use the phone booth instead of just time traveling, which is what they're mainly mainly known for. But I mean, we had the phone booth go to heaven and hell, right? No, Bill and Ted went to heaven and hell. The phone booth didn't go to heaven and hell. Yeah. But they they've had adventures no, the phone, phone in the booth after They've had phone booth. They've had ah. They've had adventures in the afterlife. So time travel, the afterlife, and now through the circuits of television. This would make more sense if the internet was around at the time, but it was in its early infamous infancy of just being an office tool to send uh, emails from one office to the other. Because of the unaired pilot, where we saw Bill and Ted get transferred into the magazine. Uh, this is kind of a twist on that concept where they're going into the cable box and they become digitized and you know are able to explore the cable TV stations. This is kind of a twist on it because it's not time travel, it's something different. And it's never really quite explained as for why it functions this way. But, you know, that's TV. <laughs> um, I don't really have a lot of notes for this episode. I mean, they they do the time, they do the travel through the shows. Oh, mom and dad, you know, reconcile, and then they go off to have sex um, because you know that's the whole reason dad married her. There is a mention of how long ago Missy was in high school six months ago, which means she graduated from high school six months ago, and then married which means Ted's she's dad. 18. Yes, gross. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so like. I just have a couple of stats here. So in America, there's 1.4 million people that identify as transgender. And of the age demographic that uh, Dr. Lance Steelflex is in, uh, 0.6% of the total population for that age demographic is transgender. So having someone come to a gender awareness or willing to make that leap later in life happens. And it happens a lot. Um, in the youth, it's about 
percent of people, and uh, in the seniors, it's 0.6, so or 0.5 to 0.6. So the average of all adults is 0.6. So that there's a lot of people that go through these types of journeys, and if this were set in today's climate, I don't think that Bill and Ted would be trying to convince the person to change their mind and keep with their gender orientation assigned at birth, but they would be trying to allow Missy to kind of overcome her grief. And I really think at the heart, Bill and Ted would want someone to be their true self and uh, repair the family in a different way so they could get the garage back so they could play their, ba- their music. Yes, they're absolutely crappy music, too. <laughs> They do get better. That's what Rufus says in the movie. I swear. (laughs) Uh, Take a quick break to plug an episode of someone else's podcast, and we'll be back with the second episode of this covering of Bill Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures TV series. Calabac, the side. It is I, Dark Side. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, Duty Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Booker Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lamps and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And we're back with the second episode of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. This is episode three. It's a totally wonderful life. Originally aired July 12th, 1992. Rufus has a fuzzy, prophetic dream about Chicken Kiev in a dark future where the stallions broke up and went their separate ways before making it big and saving the world. He must travel to 1996 to find out what went wrong and how to fix it. The guy who directed this episode, David Nutter, won an Emmy for Game of Thrones recently. I mean, I guess you've got to start somewhere, and on a crappy TV series based on an uh, excellent movie series, uh, that's one way to do it. And not entirely crappy, but just like, it's not as good as the movies, and there's some episodes that are really difficult to watch, like the last one we just did. But he'd also worked on Superboy for 21 episodes, 21 Jump Street, two episodes of this, Deja Vu and It's Totally Wonderful Life, 15 episodes of The X-Files, Millennial, Smallville, ER, The Short-Lived Tarzan, two episodes of Supernatural, Nip Tuck, The Sopranos, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, Entourage, Homeland, Shameless, and won an Emmy for Game of Thrones. That is a freaking career. Wow. In fact, he's won uh, 12 Emmys and been nominated 19 times. Wow. So the guy knows That's how amazing. to make good TV. Oh, he won an Emmy for Band of Brothers, too. That's another big one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, so good on him. Uh, cool that he directed episodes of Superboy, because I really liked Superboy. It's it's hit or miss, depending on what episode you happen to watch. But what is Chicken Keel? And also, hats off to a major Rufus episode, because he's pretty absent. <laughs> what I don't like about this episode is that Rufus's prophetic dream actually caused him to spin off the timeline in this way, where uh, it was his hand that wrote Chicken Kiev on the plaques that they're supposed to get uh, engraved, thus humiliating Ted's dad, and then therefore causing the timeline to shift so that uh, when he goes back to the future, people like polkas, it's a very militaristic state, and if he hadn't signed those documents then perhaps it wouldn't have been as bad. Uh, it's almost like his dad, uh, it's almost like uh, Ted's dad runs the future. Yeah, very militaristic. Uh, they eat chicken, they, they uh, eat chicken Kiev I guess for I their uh, prison meals. Don't ask me. One of the elders I wanted to point out, and he was in a previous episode, is played by Blue Mankuma, a longtime character actor, and he's always had that very distinct voice whenever he talks. Uh, he was uh, Sergeant Stanley in the RoboCop TV series. He was the voice of Tigertron and Tigerhawk on Transformers Beast Wars. 
uh, which is where he, I learned he, it from him. He was on Forever Night. And he was on uh, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, as the Flutter Guy and Red Dragon. <laughs> I am not into My Little Pony. <laughs> <laughs> You're not Brony? <laughs> no. Jesus Christ. I have to draw the line at certain things. <laughs> That and it's something else I draw the line at. Uh, one of the um, female uh, elder ones that are with him is uh, Karen Campbell. And on her IMDb, there is a lot of sexy pictures of her in a red bathing suit, which makes me think she's a Baywatch babe. But she doesn't have any Baywatch credits to her name, so she must be a model. But she has a tiny career. But there are some sexy, sexy shots. There's 115 photos of her on her IMDb in bikinis and bathing suits. So, again, it makes me believe that she is a model as well. But she is... Someone was a fan. Oh, my God. She is beautiful in every single one of these. I need to... Um, oh, or she's also partially nude on IMDb with covering herself up. Um, busty, blonde, <laughs> California babe. I don't know. I don't know her from anything. But there's like 115 photos in between ads for whatever they're advertising, I'm flipping through, of her in next to nothing. Yeah, Sona was definitely a fan uploading all of this. I, I am 100% <laughs> okay with that. <laughs> Maybe we'll post some of these on the uh, Facebook page to be like, look at the quality of talent that's in this show. Look at this amazing-looking woman. <laughs> but literally, she's done nothing. It's so weird. She, she must have been a huge model because she's got nothing listed for any kind of, like, information about who she is. At least Blue Man Cuba uh, has that voice. He's got that voice, which is how he's so recognizable. You know, as much as he's a, an actor himself or whatever, his voiceover work is amazing. So uh, We also see, as the engraver, Robert Rosen, uh, who was uh, in an episode of The Supernatural recently, 2018, as Cupid. Have you seen that episode? What episode was it? It's The Devil's Bargain. No, I don't. Maybe I have. I'm not 100% certain. He was also on uh, Bordello of Blood as the Rabbi Goldman. So in this alternate reality where uh, rock music is kind of outlawed and everyone prefers polkas, a very fascist-looking uh, society, Rufus has to go back to 1992. Or actually, he goes to 1996 to see the split between... Bill and Ted to figure out what went wrong. He goes to 1996 and finds that uh, Ted is uh, an undercover cop with uh, internal affairs to kind of uh, get crooked cops off the streets. Hey, that's a good and, idea. Something internal yeah, affairs yeah. should do more often. Um, no, uh, no conversation needed about current events, but uh, seriously, that's something they really need to, to, to beef up on a bit. Yeah, so uh, then Bill is a, I guess, a real estate developer, and he ends up taking over the Nail World uh, company so that he can run it, and he's just like this big corporate leader now and was on Fortune magazine. And their attitude is definitely different. In the four years between 1992 and 1996, both people have grown, and they've lost that childlike wonder that Bill and Ted have. And now they're just kind of a pessimistic, I don't know, pride or greedy they're people douches. that have no interest in being in a band anymore. And they're like, yeah, screw your future reality. They're douches, basically. <laughs> yeah. They're very bogus. Yeah, corporate they're not, tools, yeah. yeah, they're not very cool. Um, the soldier in the episode that comes to arrest uh, Rufus, um, I don't really recognize him, obviously, because he's dressed like Daft Punk. But uh, he was also on uh, Supernatural. He played uh, Sal Moriarty in Swan Song, and he was a doctor And I Know What You Did Last Summer. And he was in the movie The Core. He was on the revival of The Twilight Zone in 2002. His career goes on and on and on and on and on, all the way back to the early 80s. Still with us today. Um, it's got a really weird picture of him on IMDb. I don't know if that's supposed to be a lot of makeup or something, because he looks like a monster. So I'm assuming he's... Not what this guy looks like in real life, but maybe he is, because... Oh, that's the photo. Okay, so that's the picture from the movie Joe Joe Finds Grace. I don't know what this guy... I can't tell what this guy looks like just based on the uh, the little bit of uh, photos that we have. But uh, he's a longtime character actor. Uh, he was also on The X-Files. Um, no, he looks pretty normal because he's a cop on The X-Files standing next to David Duchovny. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> I okay. was wondering, wait, is, he, is this how he's getting all his roles, like on Supernatural and the Twilight Zone, because he has such a deformed look to him? <laughs> you know, like the pinhead-looking character on American Horror Story? A lot of people thought that that actor actually looks like that. Yeah, no. No, that actor is smoking hot in real life. Yes. <laughs> she is beautiful. I've met her at a convention, and I was just like, no, that's you? And she's like, yeah, it's a lot of makeup. But she was stunningly beautiful. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this this whole reality, um, you know, Rufus goes back to 1992 and then forward into the future to see the outcome of the decisions that were made in his Rufus's mistake, and then they vow never to separate again, and and still they go back to redo that mistake. And and for those people that have this headcanon that John Wick is actually um, Ted, had he gone to military school, well, this undercover cop is the product of him going to military school. You can add that to that headcanon you have. Yeah, which is the funny the joke of whatever that uh, he says to his bud and says, how many times are you going to use that threat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, if it's effective, he'll keep using it. And, you know, we, we everything gets reset. You know, they take a trip into the future. I love the uh, when he's in the apocalypse future, they use the air guitar to like like sign language. Yeah. <laughs> that was very cool. Lots of air guitar uh, in Bill and Ted. Do you think that Wayne's World is like a ripoff of Bill and Ted? When did Wayne's World come out? Wayne's World debuted on MTV in the early 90s before it became the movie in 1992 or 3. So it was on MTV, sure they said, because Mike Myers joined the cast around 1990 or so. So, And then the movie came out like 91 or 92. I mean, they're, they're, character, they're caricatures of kind of the uh, surfer-esque, skater-esque type of, type of character that was going around in the early 90s. So I'm not sure if it were just they were just creative in created in tandem with each other. Like well, it, it seems like uh, I mean Wayne's World, Wayne and Garth, as as goofy as they are, uh, definitely come across as a lot more intelligent than Bill and Ted. You know what I mean? Yes. They do yeah, not come across sure. as idiot stoners like Bill and Ted are not stoners, but they that's they come across like uh, Spicoli from um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're like idiot savants if that's the proper terminology. Yeah. I mean they're clearly I mean, not, able to yeah. operate. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. <laughs> they're clearly able to operate a time machine. They're not completely and utterly idiots. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they can identify who Billy the Kid is, Genghis Khan, Napoleon Dynamite, and so on and so forth. So and they can write music. You know what I mean? Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. Hold on oh. a second. I'm about to lose. I'm about to lose everything. Hold on. So then Bill and Ted go to the go fix the plaque and then they go to the future and the future sequence is almost identical to that of the movie where everyone comes out they play that very smooth song but everyone wants to meet the great ones because in their in the future obviously that far in the future they're dead and you know they do the guitar salute and you know be excellent to each other and party on and you know and scene <laughs> the episode pretty much stops there yeah, they uh they do the the air guitar thing or whatever where they throw their like their their drumming or whatever, which is what they've seen in the holograms where like they're drumming away mm-hmm. as their salute to each other, you know, instead of waving goodbye or a handshake or whatever, it's the air guitar motion. The air guitar, yeah. Did you ever hear of air guitar bands? People actually had these things. I did. Oh my yeah. god! Oh, I would never. Kind of silly. You better. That better be a free concert because if I gotta sit there and watch somebody drum their fingers on nothing. And not actually playing any anything, or it's like it's 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 from a CD. It's like I've never been to a concert like that, or a show at a at a club. But I just imagine they're just pumping the music in and they're air guitaring it. It's like what what am I watching? Did, did, Performance did, art. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I draw a line at where people consider art, and it's just like waste of time and my money. <laughs> But that's it for these two episodes of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. After you're listening to the podcast, go watch the movie. It's in theaters now. It's actually in a lot of theaters. It was only going to be in one, but it's apparently playing at a lot of drive-ins and whatever theater might be open. But it's also available video on demand. And if you don't want to go out, it will probably be on DVD and Blu-ray very soon because a lot of the movies that have been in theaters temporarily for a little while 
have been out on DVD and Blu-ray within a month. Yeah, I'll be going to see it at the drive-in because I love drive-ins. I do, too. I just don't know if I want to pay to go see it back-to-back on the film I already own. Um, I'm what, what is your drive-in showing? Uh, Bill and Ted and Ferris Bueller. So yeah. I'm wondering if maybe it will play again next week when Tenet comes out. So Hopefully. Yeah. Um, I will be seeing uh, Bill and Ted followed by Weird Science, and I've never seen Weird Science up on the big screen. So that'll be pretty interesting, and I'm going to bring an extra bra to wear it in my head. I wasn't sure where you were going with that when you started that statement with, I'm going to bring an extra bra, and I'm like, what? wait. <laughs> no, you, you have to wear the bra the on your head. Are you, are, you, are you worried your bra is going to bust open? I don't, I don't, wait, wait, okay, she's wearing it on her head, okay. I know, I got it, I got it. I just, I just wasn't sure if, if, I just, I didn't know where you were going with that. Ah, uh, yes. I thought maybe it was like, I thought it would be like a, I thought it was going to be like something like Elvira where she like bre- breaks the chains with her breast or whatever. Like your breasts are just going to break out of your bra and you needed another one for some reason. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> they should show that. They should show uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark on uh, at the drive-in. Um, but I don't know what the copyright stuff involved with that is. And I'm sure something like that, Cassandra Peterson would love to tour around. But her being 70 years old, I'm sure she's not going out nearly as often as she used to. <laughs> Oh, especially not uh, today in the time of COVID. No, I guarantee. I do not want her harmed in any way. Cassandra is definitely probably staying home because she is at that at risk. I mean, she is seventy. This, she is seventy years old this year. Yeah. So it's definitely not safe for her to go out. As as, as yeah. healthy as she is, I, I'm sure all the precautions are being uh, made to keep her safe until this whole thing can roll over. Because her book got pushed back to next year. She told me. I asked her, it was like, are you planning on still putting that book out this year? And she's like, no, we really want to push it out where I can actually go out with it. So, yeah. but I'll be happy to come on and talk about Scooby Doo, but we got to wait till the movie's out. So, she's probably yeah. coming back on and talk about uh, Happy Halloween Scooby Doo. Cool. Yeah, this year we, uh, me and my partner, did a presentation for Trauma Dance, which is the annual uh, short film festival by uh, Trauma Entertainment. And we produced a couple of displays for the actual trauma dance event and you can find us on the dead tv podcast on facebook as well as at christy sab on twitter and at elegantly kinky and we'll be back with two more episodes how many episodes do we have of the show only like that's it right the next episode let's see i think we've got two uh, we've got two more episodes of podcast there's um, four more episodes Right. Okay. So we got. Okay. So we had two more episodes of the podcast, four more episodes of the show. Hopefully, you enjoyed our interview with Lisa Wilcox. Thank her for coming on, and we will have another guest from the show on the show with us, hopefully soon, to share with you. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with another most excellent adventure of Bill and Ted's. Thank you, everybody. Party on! Party on, dudes! <laughs>